0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of I Cast Fireball, an actual play 5e d adventure where we go through the campaign, Tyranny of Dragons. Here on this bonus episode of I Cast Fireball, we call this Word of Recall where we reflect on some of the recent episodes and some of the recent interactions we've had amongst ourselves as players, but also amongst um, our characters as they grow, develop, and explore new traits that they have. So, as always, though, around the table, I'm joined by
1: Mickey, who plays Malamara.
0: Jacob, who plays Lance Thing.
2: And Ned, who plays Fleeple.
0: Or Apel. If you've listened to the most recent episode, but we'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead there. Hey, Everybody, we just got through a massive arc of us infiltrating, going into, and exploring the caves of the Cult of the Dragon. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, uh, not only did you, that was this part two of the Cult of the Dragon, so to speak, where you had to go back, but this was... Your first big decision to go back without trying to rescue people. I mean, the, the the initial motivation was to go save Ardina's father, was to go help these prisoners. But this time it was strictly a reconnaissance mission. Um, it was strictly to find out what was going on here. So we know the big motivation with Fleeple mm-hmm. was to get rid of, to to see to it that all the spawn of Tiamat or all Teathar are dealt with. And this this cult, there's no question that there's some intense evil in this cult here. And I don't know if we've answered this question entirely yet, but what was everybody's motivation to go back to these caves to find this evidence that Leosin had charged you all to do?
3: Caldera Part 2. This time it's personal. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say... <laughs> Uh, for for Lance, Lance hit a point, um, because he went with them specifically because the first time, because of um, Ardina and her father, and I'm and there was a promise made, and he's like, I don't want to break promises, especially to a kid, and but then the second time he started to realize, I think through that whole series of events in the camp, that these people, they're one, life before I met these two others was pretty terrible. Uh The only other companionship I had was a bodyguard who shall not be named. Uh, Does he even
2: have a name at this point? Because
3: <laughs> you can't remember his name? Because <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. Keep, did he even did exist? He even, was he even a thing? Maybe he's going <laughs> to. I don't know. Uh, but, and so Lance kind of realized life before where I was trying to stick it alone and just hire somebody to possibly travel with or protect me did not work out very well this even though it's crazy and chaotic and everything that my intuition says this is the wrong way to do it it's actually been the better way even though it would have never made sense to lance so he kind of at the at the invitation to go back he realized my life is is the way i wanted it to be with these people and so even though I think that this is going to maybe screw me in the end, it's better than what I had before. And he's actually starting to to, to like these people. He's starting to like Fleeple. He's starting to respect Mal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> An important distinction.
0: Us knowing that Mal and Lance have that brother-sister relationship yes, going he's on. He's starting
3: to appreciate both, peop- both of these people's characteristics and realizing that they're actually... Making me do things that, even though I think are risky, they're actually feeling worthwhile. And so, that's for Lance why he decided to go back. That's interesting
0: how you put it. Uh, you said uh, your initial intention of having that bodyguard—you wanted to live a certain way, and you wanted to have a certain life, and you felt you could achieve that, almost being solitary with with this one bodyguard. But instead. You are finding that you're, that Lance's life and his goals are being achieved crazy enough with these chaotic people, with these people
3: who have a purpose and who have a drive. Uh, well, and I would even say maybe not his initial purposes or his initial plans. Uh, he was very much a lay low kind of person. He still is, but he was very much a lay low kind of person. Don't attract the crowd. And even though he might have been somewhat succeeding in that, besides the bodyguard co-op ruining everything. Um there was he he realized after a time traveling with Fleepel and Malamara that oh I'm feeling fulfilled and actually like feeling like I'm accomplishing things. And even though ah. even though the way I was living before I think is the safest way, it's not there was no purpose. Mm-hmm. There was no fulfillment. And so he's starting to and he, he will still continue to have this kind of pull on him of you need to be safe, but I want to feel like I'm doing something worth something.
0: Awesome, and I think I think that's definitely been showing too, with how Lance has been interacting with Fleeple and caring for everybody here. And and Mal, I, would you say that similar that's a similar thought process or feelings that Mal has going along with Fleeful, Um, or going back to the Caldera Caldera Two, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I think that idea of being a part of something and a part of a pack. I think right now, they're still kind of in their early stages of learning to trust each other and learning to work together, that she's just kind of hitched her wagon to Fleeple and just going along for the ride. Fleeple, Fleeple got a think <laughs> listen and was like, we're going back. And I'm like, cool.
3: Let's go. Fleeple's the glue.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and it makes more sense too with Mal, you know, you sharing you being from the spine of the world, you sharing um, a little bit you know, being from a tribe as well. And this being like the, this community and this sort of like camaraderie being something that I'm, uh, it seems Mal is attaching to herself too
1: as well. Very much
2: so. One thing that I'm kind of wondering now with all of this is this idea of Fleeple being kind of the driving force behind a lot of what happened here. Uh, Fleeple's faith is a huge part of that. And it's taken him on a lot of ups and downs And his faith itself has gone on a lot of ups and downs as well, from like some very heavy zealotry right at the very beginning to some pretty heavy doubt. And I'm interested to hear maybe what Mal and Lance feel about this sort of faith journey that Fleeple's going on and how this is directing so much of their journey here. Hmm.
3: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And maybe to add to that question is since I feel like it's kind of related, like how do they feel about faith or how do they feel about either Fleeples faith journey itself or what, what feelings is it bringing up in them regarding their own faith?
1: Well, I'm sure Jake's answer will be longer than mine. So, um, because we've had some really cool interactions with What with does Lance. that
3: mean?
1: <laughs> well, we had a lot of cool interactions with Blanche <laughs> I know. And I know. I'm just totally that's true. <laughs> interactions whereas um I I feel like Malamar hasn't been a part of those conversations as much. Mm-hmm. Um and so at this point that's just taken as me as a player has taken a back seat and I've I'm I like that it's kind of playing out between Lance Leland and Fleeple and that they kind of get a spotlight or mm-hmm. like their characters are connecting over that point.
0: Do you feel that Mal has uh, do you feel like that Mal has a lot to contribute regarding uh, this faith crisis or this journey of faith?
1: I don't currently where I have her written to, I don't think so. I can see. There are avenues that I could pursue with that, with things from mm-hmm. from her past and her backstory that might be interesting. But where she's at right now, I don't think that she didn't really have it growing up and it's just not on the forefront. It's just kind of I guess that's Fleeple's thing. But if Lance Thalen obviously starting to kind of get into it and starting to question it, that could also be a, a point that brings up with Malamar as well.
0: Interesting. Jacob, any thoughts?
3: uh no i'm just joking of course i have so many thoughts um my i think it's well something to tie off back actually to malamara before we get to anything of lance i think it might be interesting in the future just as a player i've been always intrigued to see a moment uh that we haven't seen pop up yet of malamara with her patron in that relationship uh, mm. In contrast, or in juxtaposition to Fleeple, and even though he's a, he, he's not a cleric, he is not a cleric. <laughs> he's a druid, but he is still a you know a follower of um, Bahamut, right? And Jacob, if I could interrupt, sorry, just
0: building on that, uh, I forgot to mention before we got to the camp, Malamara having this intense conversation with her patron, <laughs> or somebody disguised, possibly, as her patron. Uh, You changing your eldritch invocations there, Mickey, as Malamara. Uh, It's interesting that you say there's not much uh, to her faith journey or when it comes to, like, a higher power and her being a warlock and having this relationship with a patron. It's just interesting Mm -hmm. where that's coming from. And um, I guess what were your thoughts regarding... uh, Or what what was Mal's thoughts? Uh, Because I know that you had talked to me about... Uh, leveling up in Barbarian, doing a multi-class situation. I guess this is a little bit behind the screen here, but when Mickey was multi-classing into Barbarian, uh, she initially had the Eldritch Invocation to get the Mage Armor, but when you're Barbarian, you have unarmored defense. You don't need Mage Armor anymore necessarily. So, uh, we understand from this perspective uh, why we wanted to change Eldritch Invocation, so I think it was totally fine. But uh, how how do you feel like Mal Approached the interaction, and uh, did had she had many interactions with her patron before now?
1: No, which is kind of, a sp- I, not to spoil anything in the future. Of that's what I, I mean. I think that there might be some progression that would be interesting. What Jake mm-hmm. was just talking about with that okay. that juxtaposition between like a deity relationship and a and a literal demon fiend relationship, um, I think mm-hmm. might be very. Um, could could lead to some interesting RP and character growth or arc in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. I agree. Okay. Okay. So maybe more to come there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Great. Sorry, Jacob, I interrupted you there.
3: No, it's all good. Um, but yeah, I think that that'd be an interesting juxtaposition to see how that happens in the future with Malamara and her relationship versus Fleeple and his relationship to a being they follow, um, worship, or just you know adhere to. For Lance mm-hmm. Thalen, uh, Lance Thalen is well. I mean, again, hashtag spoilers. It's not really a spoiler, but he's he's chaotic neutral. That's his alignment, and so he doesn't really trust any system. Obviously, that's another thing too. That if you haven't caught on by now, Lance Thalen doesn't trust a lot of things. And yeah. And the thing about faith is, it's it's supposed to be complete trust in a system or a person or a you know or a religion of faith. And so, do you feel like, it did so with this
0: in mind, uh, Lance Thalen having such strong feelings against this, was there uh, a particular instance you'd be willing to tease out? of maybe an instance where he developed this belief or this idea? Like maybe he did trust somebody?
3: Um, Yes. Would you be willing to share that? Uh, Lance, uh, and he's hinted at it in the past. I think there was a moment where he was talking to one of the party and he talked about like trusting in something that ended up hurting him in the end and, and putting his faith in the wrong things. And so, yes, there is instances of his past where he has... He is trusted in uh, a person or a system that really, really hurt him. And that's where he comes from. And that's where a lot of his uh, backstory will further be explored is Is this betrayal that he feels. Um, now, with that said, though, it's not like he's against what Fleeful is doing. He's chaotic neutral. It's very much like a live and let live situation kind of thing. Like as long as your faith in your system is not imposing upon another person's... Uh, wanting to live, wanting to be them, you know, follow their own path, then he's fine with it. The thing I think that pops up, is it in the cave? I think it's in the cave where he talks to Fleeple. I forgot the exact instance where he talks to Fleeple about it, but he talks to Fleeple about how he's seen systems that have been purported to be good end up doing terrible things, but they're good. So they're excused for it. And he thinks that's very hypocritical, whereas bad systems like, um, you know, are just prescribed as bad and, and they're just pushed to the side. And it it, I, it is in the cave because we talk about the dragons and their metallicness. And he says, well, all dragons, no matter what color they are, because the metallic dragons are always the evil dragons, which is very true. It's very connected to D&D lore. But he said, well, all dragons, though, have an element of pride to them. So is there really... Such a distinctness to them, and, and again, this is in Lance Thalen's mind because he doesn't have a lot of experience with dragons either. Like, is there such a distinct difference between these chromatic versus metallic dragons? If or is it chromatic? Sorry, which one's the bad one? I it's chromatic. chromatic is I was, was going to metallic's uh, the good one. Pipe metallic's the here, good one. Yeah, chromatic. Chromatic's the bad one. But he, in Lance Thalen's mind, he's like, well, they're all doing things based on pride and based on, well, I'm right and this is the right system, and so. He's distrustful of the whole thing. Like Bahamut, for instance, he's like, he must be a good guy because Fleeple seems like a really good guy. But I don't know if it's just all purity and good intent. There might be, especially maybe not even in the deity themselves, but in the followers. Sometimes the followers can get a little sidetracked or zealous. And I think that's where Lance specifically pointed out to Fleeple, like becoming a zealot. And just fully invested in the faith and trying to destroy everything that's against it might lead you down the path you are trying to destroy even. So he doesn't say it in those words, but that's kind of what Lance's thought was. And I don't know, in that conversation, I don't know if Ned recalls, I I, I just think it'd be interesting to see from Ned's perspective. Because Ned, you said Flippel has kind of gone through some challenges of faith, I assume, in encountering some of these things in conversations. Mm-hmm. How has Flippel kind of evolved in faith
2: yeah, so Fleeple, the way that I've portrayed him is kind of a function of the fact that his alignment is true neutral. And I really enjoy playing characters that are true neutral because it's a very interesting alignment to try and figure out how to make it work. And in Fleeple's case, I think it manifests in a lot of unsurety and a lot of inexperience and some naivete. Mm-hmm that he has these, like he went through his entire life living to be a greedy spawn of the dragon queen suddenly has this massive moment that kind of validates the fact that he didn't like that. And so he goes whole hog in this direction and Mm -hmm. he went from essentially a black place to a white place. And now is suddenly realizing, Hey, the world is a gray place and that's, interesting Mm -hmm. to try and navigate. And so I think there's kind of a lot of vacillation in the way that I've been characterizing Fleeple. He goes from one extreme to the other and it's kind of like, you know, there's those springs that you put on the floorboard to like stop the door as it's opening. And when you flick one Mm -hmm. of those, it vibrates back and forth and then slowly it comes to the center and I think that's kind yeah. of the journey that Fleeple's going on.
0: Yeah. I, I Not only do I like that analogy, but I mean, we've seen Fleeple, um, go back and forth so drastically, and, you know, and him sharing a little bit about his backstory. I mean, pretty severely taking a hard 180 from what he was raised and what he was born with. So, um, it, it would, it would make sense to me why there would be a little bit of a, Um, Now that you're in the Proving Grounds area, so to speak, you're actually being presented with challenges and you're on a holy quest or you're on a mission of your choosing or you feel drawn to this mission, sort of finding that true neutral balance as you described, Ned. That's that's interesting, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: And I think eventually he might move more in the direction of neutral good rather than true neutral Um, in the very Mm -hmm. beginning he was kind of like harm indiscriminately these guys are kobolds they're bad I will kill them without any remorse Uh, but Mm -hmm. eventually like the experiences he's had with his friends experiences that he will have in the future interacting with his faith in a more stable environment I think is going to move him towards more of a general sense of magnanimity and kindness with the world around him and generally wanting to kind of Put kindness first rather than zealotry first.
0: Amazing. Well, let's sort of uh, jump ahead a little bit in our journey into the cave. Um, we had a couple interactions near the entrance of the cave. One of the biggest ones, um, first off, the cleverest ones that I didn't see coming as the dungeon master is having a find familiar try to map the entire cave complex for you for a whole episode um so well, well done there Mickey. well done um it's the it's the simplest things that flabbergast the dungeon master and that was one of them for me so but in in that finding out that mondath was not only in the cave but smack dab right in the entrance uh just behind 12 14 guards at the time imagine
1: if we just like stumbled into that room <laughs> we had yeah, we're I, just I, like
0: there was some conversation about immediately just like jumping right in there. I mean, how close how how on the fence were each of you to just being like, this is it, we're just gonna run in there right now without exploring the rest of the caverns? Uh
3: for me uh not a lot. I wanted to explore the whole thing. Uh, I think I think we talked about this even <laughs> like previously in this social media posts. Me and Ned are completionists. We want to explore yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> we wanna get it. We wanna find out all the little bits and treasures. Uh, but my only my only hesitancy, I think, was thinking, is Thomas doing a time uh, mechanism where if we are exploring ah. too much Things will get away, but as soon as Mickey's like, "Oh, I'll just perch my familiar here," I was like, "Wait, let's go, go <laughs> let's <the> explore." <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was my only. He- like, are they going to yeah, leave? That was my only hesitancy. Yeah. Is if Thomas is somehow doing a time mechanism where if we waste too much time in this cavern, we will miss our opportunity. That was my only hesitancy. And I will say that uh, a, a
0: clever use, um, a clever dungeon mastering tip, is to make things continuously like move and have action outside of the party uh the biggest one being honestly the treasure trove um it just being gone you had gone back to greenest uh for a time and um as a result of that um the treasure trove was gone at that point their actions were still moving forward while you were taking your own actions as a pl- as players as as fortunate that was um and so i mean that's uh, i hurts. would say it's
3: Still hurts.
0: (laughs) So I think that's uh, on par. I think uh, (laughs) um, I, too, as a player, love to make sure I'm exploring everything to find all those. I played too many video games to know that the magic items are exactly where you don't expect them to be. Like the trash pile, which just so happened to not have any magic items in there, from what you all (laughs) know.
2: I'm still distrustful of that. I rolled a Me natural too. twenty, and I no. still am not certain that there wasn't something in that pile. <laughs> I had
1: detect magic. You know what the to treasure you was? I still don't believe you it. Know what the treasure
3: was? It was a com- it was a compost room. So the treasure was recycling.
2: <laughs> the treasure was the circle or of life. The treasure was the friends.
0: The friends we made along the way. In the trash. <laughs> the dragon eggs we found along the way, mm. which. Uh, the stuff that you did find inside the cave, I mean, you found the biggest item was finding these dragon eggs, but I mean, you found a lot more than what you had initially signed up for, or what you had uh, intention, like, um, had maybe thought was there. You had the cave with the bats, you had the weird meat locker room, and all, all of the drakes being trained. Um, and then the the most despicable character, Tommy Wingzo, mm-hmm. that
3: you had captured and brought along with you, old Tommy, still rotting in a in a jail cell somewhere.
1: Such a great <laughs> choice of voice, Thomas. Which
0: I have uh, for any aspiring dungeon masters out there. For anybody who is thinking about making a drastic choice for any character, <laughs> don't be ready to commit. <laughs> <laughs> For at least twice to three times the length that you had initially thought it would last. Um, I thought Tommy Wings O would be a one and done episode,
3: and here he nope. is,
0: still alive. Nope.
3: You know do you know up to this point. Do you know why you know? we tied him up, Thomas? It wasn't because we actually needed him. We wanted that voice. <laughs> it was just to torture me. Us. You wanted we to torture me. <laughs> you wanted me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, never underestimate your players or their cruelness uh everybody out there. Um but yeah, there is quite a bit to explore in that those caves and we had some pretty intense moments there. Um probably one of the the first intense moment was Fleeple going unconscious yeah. for the second time mm-hmm. in the campaign uh running uh, attacking Tommy Wingzo and then going down those stairs to discover the entire room of kobolds <laughs> and kobold going down a result of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, being the one who went unconscious, I don't know. I enjoy playing lots of different characters. So part here's part of the problem, though, is like I would not be torn up necessarily if Fleeple were to die in one of these episodes. <gasps> But You shut your mouth, now. Here's the it. thing. I, I have a tendency of creating characters that other people would be very upset if they died. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a bard waiting in say the wings just really to step to in up. if oh, anything don't bad you, happens.
3: Don't you be advertising your bard. I got one there, too. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: So, I don't know. I wasn't necessarily super freaked out. Um, it would have been interesting to try and introduce a new character in the midst of that dungeon. But, I mean... Mickey and Jake were the ones who had to actually do all the heavy lifting during that situation.
0: And Mickey, I mean, both of you did. Uh, Lance getting, um, Fleeple out of there. And then Mickey, um, I mean, I thank heavens for Ned knowing so many more rules than I do. and Optional (laughs) rules that make sense. Uh, but it just makes sense for a massive barbarian swinging this great sword to be able to cleave through these enemies if they're all the same type and they all have similar health. And Mickey, how did that feel as a player to be able to do so much damage with a melee character? I know previously you've shared that you were a spellcaster in a previous campaign, but this being a melee player and still being able to take care of um, instead of just one enemy, one turn, being able to take care of multiple enemies, did you? Uh, are you able to find different ways that Mal can contribute to the party, or that uh, things that you hadn't considered Mal could do before?
1: Um, it's, it's one of those weird things about D D that um, it, it's all imaginary. But rolling that <laughs> many dice. It's
2: all. What? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not actually swinging a sword through and killing all of these creatures. Because honestly, that would be horrific for me as a human being to do. But like, there's Break something... Break the
3: fourth wall down.
1: Like, <laughs> I don't know, primal? I don't know. Like, that's like, I swing my sword and I kill all these things. And just like decimating that room full of people. And for some reason, we keep doing mal- Taking on like 9, 10, 11 people and then Fleeple and Lance <laughs> having one person that they're dealing with, which to be May. fair, Mondo yeah. was a massive thing to like try and do. But there's like, there's such a comedic, I don't know, I think it's it's like a comedic situation that we keep finding ourselves in of them trying to take care of one person and Mal just like slaughtering these people. Which I have found very
3: funny. I will say fast forwarding to fast forwarding to our latest episode, Fleeple did try and stay in a room with you and you decimated everybody, so Fleeple just roly poly the I heck know. out of there, being like, it has got this, <laughs> dad's got this. We we tried to change it.
2: Thematically, it's it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. I would
0: I either. think so. I think I so. I thought it was so great. And uh Fleeple's Fleeple's true neutral nature makes so much sense why he just saw Mal go into rage and be like, nope, nope, and then just, <laughs> here. just roll backwards into the room with Lance and uh, Mondath. Um, yeah, I mean, Mal did that twice in this cave mm-hmm. and showing her true colors. We'll get to her when she gets into a rage for the first time in a little bit here. Um But speaking of barbarians, uh, we came across uh, Lena and An. Mm. where we had an interesting, it was an encounter which started as a combat encounter, but then switched into somewhat of this social encounter with uh, Mal being being announced as the Dragon Slayer, right? And all of you taking part into that, they just recognizing Mal in particular. uh, What was all... I I think all of you did a pretty good job in the episodes describing how your characters felt, but... um, lance you seem to have the most difficult time with these barbarians and
3: with their reasoning right it was just because i rolled super high and i was like what the crap i rolled (laughs) um uh yeah it was very much like if something again lance thalen he he doesn't trust well but he also if he he's very he's a lot he he tries to go with logic as much as possible and not emotional-based. and Or just like, oh, it's our honor-bound duty, which the barbarians were kind of saying as their excuse. Like, we made this promise and we just got to—we're not going to—it was just—how am I phrasing this? It didn't make sense to Lance that they made a promise to Mondath, and we're going to break the promise to stop defending what Mondath asked them to, but then— to somehow say that, oh, but us attacking Mondath is over the line, even though we've already broken the promise. And it just, it was like, you're you're doing this purely on a somehow honor-based system that you've already broken. So mm-hmm. why are you being a hypocrite? And again, like we pointed out, Lance is hypocritical himself. But it is something that I think is a is a big character flaw of his, but he also resents it when he sees it in other people. Maybe it's because he resents himself having it. Ooh, that's deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's deep. It was. It was. I was. It was intentional the whole time. I was like, uh, "There's hypocriticalness <laughs> going here," and I'm. I'm. I'm at no. <laughs> but I, it's. It's fun how the story. It's fun how the story plays out that way because yeah, that's what Lance was thinking during that moment. Is this is hypocritical, and you're not. You're not. You're not doing the logical thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I stepped in to like assist Lance with the argument, but the whole time. I couldn't stop myself from thinking, you know, Thomas bounced an encounter for three players to fight against 12 angry cultists and a woman who was going to turn into a dragon. He can't just let us take two barbarians in with us and mess up his balance.
3: He could he could've, he could have he sprinkled some some people we didn't notice, <laughs> some hiders. Oh, these five people were under a rug that <laughs> you didn't uh, know about. Layer action. <laughs> what? it's a layer.
1: <laughs> a layer action. People just like pop up.
0: That's an interesting point because I did actually um, for this just t- I to give you a little bit of context. I thought that c- encounter was over. Um, your current skill level, like it would be a very difficult uh, conflict. It would be a di- very difficult battle for with Mondath and the twelve. So why didn't you level us up? And so, why
3: didn't you? Maybe I'm just cool. Oh, it's always a DM. D- that's a that's a DM trait you have to have. And so there there was a, a possibility of
0: the barbarians actually joining your side to battle. Um, it would have required a couple of. Uh, not only the persuasion role that both of you helped out with, but um, it was actually mainly geared towards Mal, um, Malamara, uh, since they were so. They had like this devoted feature to Langdrosa previously. And now that devotion, without any of you realizing it, uh, without them telling you, immediately went to Mal. Um, if there had been like some strong or uh, persuasive arguments, uh, for Mal specifically, and, uh, to kind of describe, or even an order, you know, an intimidation, like, to try and get them to do it uh, even against their will, uh, there would have been a strong possibility that they would have joined your side, um, but that leads me to my next question, Mickey, uh, Mal being very honor-bound and recognizing their own agency and stuff, do you feel that, um, knowing that how powerful Mondath was and uh, would you, would you have changed how you, uh, how intent you were in to try and get them to help you in that final battle or follow along with you?
1: I think from Mal's perspective, the reason I kind of just let it go was that, um, uncomfortableness of being revered of like all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, not like knowing what to do with that kind of flustered her And then I really liked that Lance was having those kind of emotion, like that, um, what's the word? Just like- Turmoil? Yeah, sure. That that internal turmoil. And so just kind of letting him have that moment to have that internal turmoil. But I think that's why I didn't pursue it or try and get, like, really try and get the barbarians to come was because she was just so, like, awkward of, oh, all of a sudden, so much of her life has been- um, she was always the odd one out she was always feared, hated you know whatever like all negative things having to do with her race and what we would say her class growing up and then to have all of a sudden somebody be like oh like revere her you are the dragon slayer was very weird for her and so I just took that more as a overwhelmed and didn't know what to do with it and so then when Lance and Freak right. were like, you guys should come! And she's like, yeah! And it didn't work, it was just like, darn! <laughs> she didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love the way that the Mondath battle turned out. Mm. Now I know I should probably push a little harder. <laughs> Maybe that would t- make the difference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I thought that brought an interesting uh aspect for Malamar uh Malamar that I as the Dungeon Master wasn't aware of as well. Her timidity in like leadership or her timidity regarding uh um accolades and honor you know, like honor being thrust upon her. Uh that was a left turn for me as the dungeon master, which I found very intriguing. So I thought that whole social encounter was uh very satisfying for me to kind of see how every single one of you played out. And there's always a little bit of, well, yes, I built an encounter a certain way. And, you know, (laughs) if you bring too many allies, but, uh, but there's always the possibility to bring allies. Um, and, and it's just interesting to see how each of you, uh, finally are, uh, each of your characters are finally starting to like come into their own or discover these insecurities they have. Um, so yeah, it, it was just a very fun moment for me uh, to kind of take a bat- seat back and take a look at all of that. To build on our characters coming into their own, Fleeple, you were given the charge to carry these three black dragon eggs. Mm-hmm. You described in the episode how vast Fleeple is discovering this network is, is uh, of the Cult of the Dragon is becoming... What are some of the things that Fleeple's thinking right now? What are some of the, like, describe to us kind of what Fleeple is going through right now, having made this discovery and starting to connect these dots.
2: Yeah, Fleeple's experience is not too dissimilar from, I guess, any person's experience as they start delving into the lore of dragons in D&D where it starts out and it's like, oh yeah, these are the cool big lizards that we fight at the end of the campaign and it makes for a really cinematic climax to this journey that our characters are going on. But especially like- Which is true. If you start reading into Fizban's Treasure of Dragons, for example, that just came out recently, Mm -hmm. you start realizing, oh wait, dragons are like the reason the world exists. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of depth and- these creatures are so intrinsically connected with the world and the magic that it is imbued with. And Fleeple obviously doesn't know a lot of this stuff about dragons and their connection with all of this grand cosmic stuff. But when you're faced with something that is so much bigger than you, it's hard not to be kind of reverential to that in a way. And so I was kind of surprised myself listening back to it the way that Fleeple treated this almost like Frodo taking the ring this burden of carrying these dragon eggs where it's like yeah these things are evil and at the very beginning of the campaign Fleeple might have just looked at those and been like okay time to smash these eggs but there is a sense of like this is much bigger than myself and I can't just go in mucking stuff up and acting on my own whims when there's bigger things at stake.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody interested in the lore of the dragons, um, we'll get into a lot of it, obviously, in this campaign of Tyranny of Dragons. But if you don't want spoilers into uh, aspects of this campaign, uh, the Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons is an excellent resource for you to get your fix on chromatic, metallic, and. Gem dragons. Gem, gem Dragons. Gem Dragons as well.
2: So. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lance would be into those. They're neutral.
3: There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's just 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 him and just him and a bunch of gem dragons talking about the what ifs of the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, well what if what <laughs> else you was right? considered
0: this way? <laughs> uh, go ahead and leave a comment uh, on our podcast if you want to see a bonus episode <laughs> with just Lance and a bunch of gem dragons. <laughs> Talking about what ifs, <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> wearing oh, dinner robes Thomas. and, and
3: <laughs> drinking wine, talking, about, <laughs> talking about what ifs. Oh boy, that's so boring. <laughs> That'd be so boring.
0: <laughs> well, moving past this fireside chat, um, we brought us to the main conflict with Mondath with Tommy Wings-O still tied up behind you guys. Oh, wait. I have a quick
3: question. I have a quick <laughs> oh, question. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jacob. How many times were you in our sneak rolls just like, dang it, because we never rolled to initiate those Sturgis? Oh my oh gosh. gosh. How surprising we so... was that for a DM?
0: Seriously. <laughs> Casual. Like, I was like, okay, well, so t- point of order, I was relistening some of the episodes. So they were bats, but underneath the bats, there were Sturges mixed in amongst the bats as well. So uh, mm. when I said it was bats, it was truly bats, but um, uh, because you guys had stealth so many times, I didn't want you to be like, Thomas just threw a bunch of Sturges in there just because, which is why I had Tommy <laughs> Wingso be like, aha, the Sturges have not
3: gotten you. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> that accent. We need to We need to find Tommy Wingso again. <laughs> Bring him back somehow in this game.
2: I need to like trap him in a soul gonna, gem. Well,
3: it's every it's every winged kobold that is true. Every winged kobold has that voice. It could be a, a regional thing though. You don't know. <laughs> I can't wait to find out other region accents for that.
2: I'm <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Jordan. Um. <laughs> Tracy <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, the future. This actually really great, Tracy the Jordan. The future husband. is
3: bright for winged cobalts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I didn't want you all to feel like you
0: got the rug swept out underneath you, especially after going through that room so many times. Oh, and if, like, the last time oh, you failed your stealth roll and all of a bunch of, a bunch of sturges come out of nowhere, you're like, what the
3: crap? Where'd they <laughs> come from?
0: But, yeah, it, after the fourth time, I was like, okay, well... They deserve to know. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> deserve, it's kind of crazy at this deserve. point. But yeah, leaving Tommy Wingzo behind, you got, you all decided to enact your plan to go into Mondath's lair. Um, which with Zaza, uh, I've I've this is my second warning of the night, which is the same warning as the first one. When you make a on-the-spot decision for a voice, be ready to commit to it for. Five times as longer than what you initially thought. I didn't expect Zaza to say an imp, so but here we are, uh, using the rest same the voice for, for oh, just the rest of the campaign. Zaza's gonna go through puberty and their voice is gonna change. Um, but <laughs> using Zaza as this clever distraction to then book it into it. Like, uh, how many. Of you... I mean that's a bold plan to just run in there and be like all right I'm going to run by all of these guys and try and go straight for mon death. Um which I didn't see coming as the dungeon master. Uh how what were each of your thoughts like you all committed to this obviously but when it came to like the amount of success that you would have with this plan where, where were you all on a scale of like one to one to ten like did you feel like that was the best plan or was it the best plan you could come up with or like what complications
2: did you th- could you foresee occurring from that man I was just like they're actually going with this this, this is <laughs> we're gonna do this <laughs> okay okay I have a very similar okay.
1: feeling yeah <laughs>
3: I thought it was the best plan that we had. Like, it's either... it Because it was the death funnel. That was the idea, at least. It did not turn out that way, because who knew the death funnel would be... It turned into the death funnel. The friends <laughs> we made along the way. Now exactly. <laughs> um, but it was a good plan. Like, okay, it's a way to limit how many can interact with us and to, to pick them off if, if that's the way it goes down. Otherwise, we're fighting in this huge room with all these cultists, and then Mondath could do any number of things in the other room once they start hearing all the commotion. So I thought it was a great plan. It was just, can Lance get there in time? Mm -hmm. And then can we get either Malamara or Fleeple to get into that, to plug the hole, to start the funnel process? Uh, that, That was the only worry, is somehow we would roll terrible in initiative, or somehow it just wouldn't work. But It did work in a very different way, though.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. and uh, I actually, when you presented that plan uh, right at the beginning of the entrance to the cave, in like the first episode, you're like, "What if we just do this?" Mid session, I thought to myself, "My gosh, that could work." What if they do that? (laughs) That could totally work. Like they broke the game. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! Just my uh, doing all the mouth math calculations in my mind, and just being like, "Oh my goodness, that they, that they, that could actually work if they just book it into there, get to Mondath, and just lay mm-hmm. waste to these people." Which, um, is, it's eventually how it, how it ended up, and it was so great. And um, I just want to call out Jacob. Thank you for being so willing to roll roll with my dungeon mastering rulings in the moment when it goes completely against what you had initially thought your character could do and thought what your plan was. Oh, the the sneak attack stuff. Yeah, I think if
3: I had anything to do over, I think it would be I would run in and I would have stopped right before the entrance of Mondath Cavern and try and like to hide and shoot. But Mm -hmm. it just didn't play out that way. And you know what? I'm still kicking it barely but i'm still kicking it um (laughs) two health points you just you got to roll with the punches i just i i think i i was more just like wanting to know like what the mechanics were of it so i could Mm -hmm. like know in the future what to plan on it was it was less of me being like uh has stopped me and it was more like oh i didn't know the (sighs) mechanics of this i got to learn those more right
0: um which is one reason, one big reason that I'm glad we're all playing a pretty new class to each of us. I feel like every single one of us has a new class that we approached in this campaign and it's allowing us and you listeners, I hope you're able to see and come along this journey with us as we are discovering these new mechanics, as Ned is gleaning this information he gets from all these books um, for optional rules that just make sense as we throw them in there and um, make it more satisfying with a three-player party. Because three players is traditionally one less than what you have in a normal typically dnd party so um it helps i think even things out but ultimately just have us more fun as well as malamara was able to literally cleave through the entire room with her new rage damage now fleeple you were the one to see malamara in her transformation mm-hmm. as she first enacted her rage first off did the arms of hadar destroyed six people with your help, I mean, doing the um, thunder wave, but then her going into a rage. What was your thoughts seeing her go through this like physical transformation? And then we'll go to Mal as well, actually having gone through this physical transformation.
2: Yeah, I believe I mentioned in one of our previous recall episodes, the sort of general direction of Fleeple's feelings towards Lance and towards Mal and with Mal sort of starting to realize there's stuff going on here that we're probably going to have to deal with eventually but Fleeple just on the whole is pretty non confrontational with the people that he cares about and he has his own journey he is not immune from having baggage in the past even though he's already shared all of it with his friends. Um, but, yeah, he. It's the kind of thing where he's like, we're going to have to talk about this eventually, but there are bigger fish to fry right now. I'm going to focus on killing this dragon lady that's killing my friend, and I'll let Mal focus on killing everybody else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up, I mean, with everything you've talked about, Fleeple coming back from his own journey, being um, part of this evil uh, that he's now trying to not become anymore, it, it, being able to see Mal go down this seemingly evil or just vicious path. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see where this plays out, but Mal, finally going, and, and Mickey as well, finally going into a rage. Were you, let's talk Mickey first. Did you Did you expect... That sort of uh, transformation to occur with Mal as you went to a rage, because traditionally rage uh, doesn't necessarily change your appearance and change your person, but um, in this case uh, it did. Like, what, what were you, was that surprising to you as a player?
1: It one of my favorite things about playing with you, Thomas, is that you're so good at taking the feedback that we have as players, or like the ideas that we have as players, and then putting them into the game in unexpected ways. So once I had decided to multi-class, Thomas, you and I had a discussion about what that was gonna mean for Malamara. And one of the things that I had initially kind of talked about was, well, what if there is a um, kind of a, a difference between Mal when she's raging and Mal when she's not, especially because we've been dealing... I wanted to explore more of this idea of Mal believing that she is human and kind of pushing off that half-orc or the orc side of her and that conflict that that creates when you're trying to deny like part of you. And so we're like, well, what if we use rage to kind of show that difference? That that rage is, is much more orc-like, whereas her normal self is trying to be human. And so that was like, we talked about it at length and we had some ideas. And so I was like, yeah, I feel really interesting about that. And then to hear you like describe it is such a different experience to be like, oh, that was like, that was both what I thought was going to happen and totally different than what I thought was going to happen. And it's so exciting to like hear your character, like come to life through the voice of a dungeon master or your ideas come to life. Through a dungeon master in ways that you hadn't expected. And so I was very happy with it. I really liked the physical transformation. And I am excited to explore more of that as we continue on in the the campaign. Because the rage will become very central to Malamar's character arc.
0: Right. And Mickey's very kind. um, uh, But she came up with most of that. During those conversations that we had. So um, if anything, uh, I was just regurgitating what Mickey had told me previously. So her her own imagination is what fostered these amazing moments uh, off screen here, Um, which I, I find the most satisfying being able to bring what you as the player's have described previously to me, but maybe you have forgotten or uh, even if you didn't forget, just bringing it forth in, in the right moment or a a climatic moment here um, and being able to pursue that. So um, I would say props goes to Mickey for that whole sequence and her whole character transformation
2: there. (laughs) And I think props to both of you for kind of going beyond as far as flavoring this relationship Because strictly speaking, as far as mechanics go, a warlock doesn't have to have a cool relationship with their patron and doesn't have to interact with them, doesn't need to have a physical mark of their connection with their patron, Mm
3: -hmm. but
2: it's that stuff that makes the warlock most compelling to me, is when you go beyond just the mechanics and say, yes, your patron does speak to you, and yes you do bear physical marks of your connection with this Mm -hmm. strange creature. Mm -hmm. And especially for a podcast where other people are listening to it and getting that extra description, I think it's a great extra kick to the story.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I would have to um, give props to Mickey uh, for her entire uh, backstory that she got to help describe her relationship with her patron. I think you've shared that in your previous Meet and Geek episode there. So uh, go listen to that episode if you wanted to hear more about that. But also just like other actual play podcasts where they have warlocks. Uh, biggest one in particular is Critical Role um, with uh, Travis Willingham, his character Ford when he was a warlock and their relationship and just the constant battle and um, the visualization that he had to satisfy or to uh, keep growing in power with his patron as well. Um, Because you're right. The Warlock doesn't have to be, uh, it it can kind of be very boring if you treat it that way towards like, oh yeah, I've got these magic and it just comes from a person I shook hands with in a pub, you know, like, or, but I feel like it's more satisfying with how Mickey has approached it to truly delve in and truly to be like nope our lives are intertwined and how those lives are intertwined it'll be interesting to see how that comes out in the podcast
2: <laughs>
0: we're running short on time here but let's talk about mondath herself I think I can say with confidence that none of you expected her to go through some sort of physical draconic transformation, right? I
3: totally called it. I totally called it. (laughs) I can never pull the 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 fleece over your eyes. Hey, me and those gem dragons were just sitting there, and (laughs) we—what if? my (laughs) (laughs) My true
0: neutral status here. Um. Yeah, that was a pretty intense battle. And it's yeah. you can it is not it is not lost on anybody who listens to the episode how excited I was to be a dungeon master during that battle. Uh, it was just exhilarating from my end as well, and it seemed like it was from all of your your perspectives as well. But what was the biggest surprise other than the transformation in that battle itself?
2: For me, I think it was you know i'm very mechanically minded and really love getting a peek behind the screen but you told us afterward that you completely homebrewed that stat block for mondath mm-hmm. right
0: i did that didn't make into the episode but i um mondath uh, she has a stat block but when it come to the when it came to the draconic transformation uh that was all homebrewed uh, to help bump up the difficulty level for each of you and to help describe a little bit more of the flavor of uh, how I want Tyranny of Dragons to go and how I think would be more satisfying. So, yeah, that was uh, that was my first big... Uh, dipping my t- big toe into the uh, lake of homebrew there, so to speak. Never having homebrewed a world or done, like, stats or uh, NPC stats to that degree. And so... Um, uh, it was quite exciting to see how it, it, all of you um, stacked up against it and how how it all shook out there.
2: Yeah, there's a giddiness for me involved with knowing that something you're experiencing in a game is just for that game. Mm-hmm. And that it's never been done before, probably will never be done again. Uh, it's a special moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, to go along with that when i said that that she had
3: some legendary actions what were some of your thoughts (laughs) oh oh boy (laughs) i I was waiting for the layer actions to show up next (laughs) (laughs) not quite layer actions not quite you were only fourth level at the time so (laughs) hey yeah we could take on anything baby (laughs)
2: I guess if there's a way that if if I might take a moment to insert a bit of Crunch Squad into oh, this yes. mm. recall, there's a <laughs> progression of <laughs> for that. sorry go ahead. <laughs> there, there's a progression of how monster stat blocks get bigger and badder because there's only so much you can do as far as okay it has higher armor class, it has more hit points, it can cast more spells, blah blah blah. And eventually you start to run to things like legendary actions. It can act outside of its own turn. You've got legendary resistances. It can just succeed on saving throws whenever it wants, uh, as long as it has those left. And so seeing these bigger abilities start to creep in, and like Jake said, eventually we get into lair actions and whatnot, that's just a sign of things are getting real. Things are getting bigger in a really, like, concrete and numeric way so for me getting to see that we were finally fighting against an enemy that had legendary actions and legendary resistances it was kind of like we're getting there this is, mm-hmm. this is big stuff
0: yeah, you're not you're not just fighting goblins in a forest anymore, or kobolds amongst the streets. Like this is this is the big cheese here. This is a mini boss, so to speak, or or the actual boss at the end of the dungeon. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was it was very fun. Uh, when I was, I mean, a lot of the motivation to creating uh, Mondath uh, at, and all of her like stat blocks was to understand being, <laughs> was to take a look at all of the other battles that we had in this campaign, and me just being like, gosh. They are just wrecking me. They are just, they just <laughs> literally destroyed a room of kobolds and only one of them went unconscious. And that's because they had like two hit points to start the battle with. They're just destroying me. And so just being like, ah, oh, well, what if there's only one person in this room, but what if they were like three people? And what if they could attack like three times that might, i uh, maybe I'll mm-hmm. have a chance. And um, it, it was kind of cool to see how those legendary actions in a, an appropriate thematic way do ramp up the battle and make it more tense without just throwing 12 guys onto a board. Um, so mm-hmm. and maybe this is another Crunch Squad segment right here is how to create your own um, interesting encounters. But this is a fun foray for me and I appreciate you guys you all being my guinea pigs with this. <laughs> but I, I re-listened to the episode today and i have to say that i um i in our group chat i messaged everybody and said I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a baby but i i sobbed a couple times while listening to the episode and it could have been i'm a little fatigued uh just in life right now but it could also have been just how immensely proud i was of all of you and just uh, what you contribute to the episodes and I mean, huge, huge shout out to Mickey and her sound editing skills. I mean, they add so much. But one of the moments that caught me, that I had forgotten about, till I re-listened to, was at the very end when Lance got that natural twenty, and how that from natural from inspiration tw- die, from the inspiration how to die,
1: inspiration die,
0: <laughs> and then that natural twenty turned into something deeper and something a little bit more intense with Mondath being held back and um I just started weeping when I started listening to that and uh, just uh with the things that um we haven't quite explored yet I don't believe but understanding mm-hmm. and Jacob how did you feel in that moment getting the natural 20 riding this high and then to have that entire moment come over
3: you um, oh boy, well getting the natural 20 was just like, oh poetic justice in the end, like just mm-hmm. not just like just so perfect cap to it all if it can. And it would have been it, it, it didn't have to come from Lance necessarily. If any of us would have had a killing blow with that, it would have been like, ah, oh, oh, yes, beautiful. Um, and there will be a lot more beautiful moments coming too we'll find uh, throughout the campaign. I, yes, it was very like oh, this just feels so right. And then when you were describing the kill and bringing up a kind of a, a ghostly figure helping Lance, which you which you have done before, but this was very much a a real visual more than just a voice or a whisper or a brush. It 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 definitely as a player, I was just like. Oh dang! We're going here now. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do this now. Okay, okay. Um, and then for Lance, uh, I mean, people will find out in the next episode. It's gonna have some major ramifications just for his emotional psyche. Uh, it it brings up a lot of the past. Obviously, it has. Obviously, it connects to the backstory, but. It's one, like, I already was, like, thinking when when Lance went down in the fight, because Lance goes down, and Fleeples, luckily, his healing spirit was there to to rev him back up, though. But it's not, it's definitely not Lance's first experience with being close to death. And so it was already, like, this is going to have some ramifications afterwards. But then to see that as well, it's definitely it's going to bring some things up because Lance doesn't necessarily know what's going on. He doesn't understand. He knows what he's seeing, but he doesn't understand why. And it's really... You're you're going to see it freak him out a lot. But that's not a negative. It was beautiful because it creates such a character uh, shift for Lance in terms of just how he's progressing and what he's going to end up having to deal with a little bit more.
0: So for a more emotional trauma... Join us next week on iCast Fireball Story Episode <laughs> to see the ramifications from Lance, from Fleeple, and from Malamara. I mean I feel like we all have some sort of emotional trauma that we have to immediately yep. deal with as soon as this mm-hmm. battle is over with. So mm-hmm. there's there's more to come mm-hmm. for sure. I mean you're you're literally blah, blah. not out of the cave yet. You're not out of the woods yet.
2: Mm -hmm. And another thing I'm excited to see moving forward, we made the connection earlier about the juxtaposition between Fleeple's deity and Mal's patron, but we're not the only two who have somebody on the other side of our powers. So I'm mm-hmm. just not realizing. That's very yeah. true.
0: Uh-huh. All yeah. fun stuff that we're going to have to find out in future episodes. And oh, everybody, thanks. thank you so much for joining. All my players, Mickey, Jacob, Ned, thanks for joining for this. And all of you listeners, thank you for joining us on this bonus episode of I Cast Fireball. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening and discovering a little bit more about what was going on between our characters as we enjoyed interacting and actually living these moments. Uh, If you like what you're hearing and you like what we're doing, please leave us a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. It really helps us out. It lets us know that you like this content and encourages us to keep going, encourages us to keep our story moving forward. Not only that, it helps get us into other people's recommended feeds, which I want to pause right there and give all of you listeners a huge shout out. As of right now, we are on track to hit over 1,000 downloads for the month of January alone, which would be the biggest amount of downloads we've had in a single month ever. And it's clearly because of you all of you getting the word out there and getting this podcast and setting it on fire if you or any of your friends want to reach out to us in something longer than a review shoot us an email at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com shoot us what you're doing what campaigns you're running as well what campaigns you might want to see us run or maybe random one shots you'd like us to see us do uh maybe different tabletop systems Ba- I mean, there's always the Battle Royale we can harken back to, but do you want to see us do any other tabletop systems? You can either have the hashtag iCastFireball or shoot us an email. We just would love to hear from you, see any character art you've got out there, and just really wanting to shout those people out who are supporting us so much. Speaking of supporting people that we love so much, we're gonna shout out to our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop, where Ned here takes the turn as the Game Master, both using the Fate Accelerated and the Avatar Legends tabletop system. Both of these tabletop systems being vastly different, but both with an emphasis on improv and intense role-playing. If you're a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, which I really, really hope you are because it is a phenomenal show, you will love diving into their ongoing campaign they have over there and if you're a fan of just exploring wacky mashup worlds with improv being the big focus you'll love their fate accelerated system they've got over there as well so give them a shout out and a five-star review as well let them know that you like what they're doing don't forget to subscribe like and share with all of your friends and fellow wacky adventurers but until next time i'm thomas your dungeon master and around the table we've got
1: i'm mickey and i play malamara
0: jacob and i play lance thalen
2: And Ned, and I play Filippo. Let's
0: keep that fire going, and we'll see you all next time.